Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up, everybody? This is Talking With. I got the homie Zito in here with me. How you doing, man? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm doing good. How are you? <laughs> uh, you know, your team beat my team today, so... Look, <laughs> that was totally out of the blue. I didn't even expect Arsenal to win. I was... I purposely scheduled a meeting at that time, so I wouldn't have to watch that game. <laughs> um, I'm starting off these interview series with the same question to everybody. So who do you support? Depends on which league, but Arsenal, which is uh, fucking terrible, but yes. <laughs> yes. And which which country do you support? Or countries, uh, depending. Nigeria. And I'm almost always against everyone else more than I support my own country. I just want to see people just like be fucking miserable with their national teams. <laughs> um... So we can get slightly biographical, but we'll do it through through a lens of football. So where did you grow up, like formative years? Let's say like one through eight, nine, ten. Uh, from one to eight, I was in Nigeria. And then we moved to the United States, moved to Detroit. And I grew up basically in Detroit for most of my life. And now I'm in New York. How, how do you remember living in Nigeria because eight you have concrete memories so I have like very clear memories like I we've gone home several times and if it wasn't for COVID which is interesting because we were supposed to go home back in December and you know my it was my father my mom my little brother and me who were supposed to go back all three of them got to go back and I didn't get to go back because oh. being in fucking New York I caught COVID Oh man! I caught COVID visiting the one person. <laughs> I, I, I've stayed in my apartment since because I moved here in December, mm-hmm. and I, I like I just I literally stayed here for like five days before I went back home. In those five days, I went to see one person, a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in years, and I was like, and I asked her if she had seen anybody else. She's like, no. And then as I'm, as I go to the day before I go to take my COVID test, she's like, Hey, I just tested positive. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> like, oh I hate myself. 
So, what did, did were you asymptomatic, or did you have like oh, no. you, you couldn't you, you you couldn't smell, or how was I it? Felt like I was dying. Oh man! <laughs> it, like the first two days was just like a light fever. Yeah. By day three, four, five, I was just like, you know, send me to the next world, please. <laughs> just <laughs> it was like the dry cough, the shaking, the oh, it was it was horrible. I'm too like. The whole time I was like, if this is how I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be real upset about it. <laughs> you see, I'm 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 blessed. I haven't I haven't caught it, and no, nobody in my family has caught it to my knowledge. So, like, I'm blessed in that I feel sense. Like that's but, a light flex at this point, bro. It's it's out there. That's the problem. It's like I feel like I'm gonna get it eventually, but I'm just trying to hold off. Like, if I don't have to go somewhere, I'm not going. So, it's it's funny that you mention it because in in 2018, my cousin came from uganda and his name's david shout out david he might be listening might not be and he was like bro you have to come because I've, I've never been to uganda i'm 31 now so i say that with much shame and <laughs> he was like you have to come you have to come i was like no problem so sorting out the passports all of that stuff and 2019 i was trying to go before i was 30 you know mm -hmm. um and bro covid hit 2020 because 2020 was going to be the year i was going to go and covid hit then 2021 i've just been in the house bro so i it's ruined a lot of plans put it that way yeah well i've been i used to go back like we used to go back routinely my dad especially but like i've been back a bunch last time was like 2018 right before covid right before yeah. and we were supposed to go back in 20 you know this last year well, we were supposed to go back right before COVID hit because we were going to go that summer. And mm -hmm. then we just kept postponing it to like COVID got down. But yeah, COVID never really gets down these days. Nah. So Detroit, how was it going from Nigeria to lake effects? What do they call it? Lake snow? Just yeah, cold, bitter yeah. cold. Yeah. How was that? It's cold as shit. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. It's like the winters are terrible. They're... It, there's actually like this uh there's actually the screenplay that I'm writing and in one of the first episodes I include something that happened in Detroit in mm -hmm. one of like the worst winters that we had. Well, that's that's very subjective because all the winners are bad, but they're bad in different ways, which is what people don't understand. Because it's some is like it doesn't snow, but it's just freezing cold. Other times it just snows so much that you're just like, this is not a real place. And that particular winter I was driving because I was uh, I was working in engineering at the time and I was driving to the office because I had to get there like seven o'clock and when I passed a certain stretch of road there were a bunch of cars piled up because it was like foggy it was snowing and people were getting into accidents when I passed it was like five six cars when I got to work there was almost 120 car pile up on the freeway and they had wow. a freeway down because you could not see and there was just like a storm happening. It was insane. Our first year, because, you know, we've never just, I've never been out. Did before. you have clothes? Did you have like the, the proper was, attire? That was the, the most interesting thing. So like the great luck that we've had, we had back then, and I've written about this before, is that our first landlord was just like the kindest human being because he was like this old black man who wore like this cowboy hat. And he was just, he was so wonderful. It was him and his wife who owned like that house. He saw that we just had nothing. And so he gave us like all of his like kids clothes because they were adults. 
So he went back and like picked up all their clothes and he gave it because we, we're like a family of like six kids and two adults. Wow. So he gave my dad, there's a picture of my dad wearing like this uh, long Oakland Raiders jacket. And that was my first, my dad's first like actual jacket or like actual, you know, actual coat. And mm. so like he outfitted us, like he gave us everything, like school clothes, and all of that. So oh, that's dope. otherwise I was going to die of like frostbite. So. <laughs> I remember my dad tells a story of like when he he went from uh, Uganda to to Halifax, and he tells a story of like, and the jacket is still somewhere in the house, but like uh, some it's not a monk, it's like a priest. Some priest gave him like this winter jacket, and he's like super duper grateful. So it's interesting the the people that you meet, just like bro, I'm cold. Can you help me? Yeah, um, it's just like if I don't get this coat, I'm gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> um, if if we look at it kind of through football, then. How was it growing up in Nigeria, probably playing football every day, and you get to Detroit? Do you still do you find places to play football in Detroit, or is it more difficult to navigate in that way? Well, so Detroit is right next to, but next to Dearborn, which is the most like the biggest like Muslim population in the U.S. Mm. And so the thing that happened is like, so there's six of us in our family, and. One of my parent, like one of my parents' things was always like to make sure that we got a chance to play. Like regardless of how much we were struggling, how hellish things were, they would always like take us to the park or like take us to like Disney World, like all of these things. And so my like they would always take us to the park and let us play around. And me and my, my older brother would just always be playing soccer around. And one time, this uh this like guy from Saudi Arabia was there was there with his kids as well. And he's from Dearborn and he saw us and he asked my dad if I could play for his team. And my dad was like, you know, my dad explained to him, like we had one family car. There's no way that he could drop me off from practice or do all of this, blah, blah, blah. And so he just told my dad, like, he'll get me like cleats. He'll take me to practice. He'll bring me back home. He'll take me to games. Like my dad just didn't have to do anything when it came to that. And so he would just pick me up. As soon as I was done from school, he'll pick me up. I'll go to Dearborn, spend like go go to practice, and I go to his house, shower, spend time with like his family, and then come back home. And so I spent so much of my formative years playing soccer in Dearborn, which is how like me and like a couple of the guys who ended up going to MLS were friendly. Like Sunni Saad and I played like the same team for a while, and him and his brother as well. And yeah, so I like I basically grew up in like Detroit and Dearborn at the same time. And I've been like it was almost like a year and a half or like two years that I didn't actually play organized soccer in that way until like I was on this team and I just played consistently. You played through high school and through college? I stopped playing right at the end of high school because I had a conflicting relationship with my father. <laughs> and so I stopped playing out of like this like sheer pettiness because he loved that I played and I was like really, really good at it. In our house right now, if you walk into the living room, like right under the TV, it's just like a whole table of trophies. And like 90% of those are like soccer trophies. It's like top score, top score, top score for like every age group. And then it's like, you know, man of the match, man of the match or like man of the tournament, man, of, like, you know, shit like that. But I stopped playing because my dad really liked it. And like me and him were just butting heads all the time. So I just get like, I just said, I'm not going to play anymore. Do you regret that? That because I, I, I could almost relate it. And I, I discovered this 
in university. And I was like, why did I do that to myself? In high school, I would just get into conflict with teachers all the time. And I just wouldn't do my homework just because like out of spite to them. And then once I, like with age, I look back and I think, bro, I was doing it to myself. Like those teachers didn't care whether or not I, like obviously your father does probably did care if he played. But do you look back and think, man, like I did something for someone else when I could have done something for myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, but like, I think the thing that happened was, so one of the marquee events that prompted that was the Chicago Fire, when they have started their residency program, uh, it was like after one of our tournaments, and I think we came second, but I had the most goals, they offered me a chance to be in their residency program. And my dad turned it down because he said that I had to finish my school. And so that like made, pissed me off so much. And especially like we were already fighting all the time. And mm -hmm. so I just gave it up completely. But no, it doesn't, you know, it's not like, I don't regret it in the sense that like so much of, even with school, like I just stopped giving a fuck about school and all of that was just this, it was just like this long prolonged fight for me to be able to run my life the way that I wanted to. And so that was like one of the biggest conflicts with me and my dad, like an immigrant father, right? Like you're not with six kids and with a bunch of financial pressure. It is just so much. It is almost like ridiculous that your son is just like rebelling so hard. But part of that was like, like giving up on school, giving up soccer, like giving up so much else was just so he would just leave me alone. Not just him, but like the rest of everyone would just leave me be. And I used to tell them all the time, like, if you just let me do focus on the things that not the things that I want, but like things that are close to me, I'm going to succeed. But like, again, you're a teenage kid saying nonsense. So you're like immigrant father who just like sold his father's land and moved his entire family to this foreign country to try to make something. And you're just <laughs> jeopardizing it because you're hanging out with a bunch of thugs, killers and drug dealers and shit. <laughs> so it was it was just a lot but I don't regret it because like in in college so I ended up playing for our college team because I walked on and the way that I walked where did you go to school University of Detroit Mercy okay and so the way that I walked on was my best friend ran track uh Leslie Hanna he was like one of the best track runners at like just not just in that school, but like in the country at that time, like a college athlete, he was incredible. But he had never seen me play soccer because like we met in college. So he had no idea. He just thought that I was just like, I talked a lot of shit, <laughs> 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 which is true. But like, so we were walking past, like I was walking him to training, like to his practice. And we were walking past the soccer uh, field. And I said, and I had made a comment that I was better than everybody in there combined. And he was like, bro, you're always talking so much shit. <laughs> like, you know, they have a tryout coming out. Why don't you go in there and like prove it? And so I was like, sure, I'll I'll go try out for them. And so I go, went and talked to the coach and he's like, yeah, just come up, just come in like the first day of uh, preseason or whatever. And but the, the hilarious thing about that, right, is like so the day like the day before, two days before. Fucking LJ, like that was his name. And he shows up at my house at seven o'clock in the morning in his car. And he says, hey, do you want to go to St. Catherine's? <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, it's seven o'clock in the morning. Why the fuck are we going to Canada to St. Catherine's? He's like, <laughs> coming or not? <laughs> and so I literally hopped in this man's car and we're driving to St. Catherine's, which is like four and a half hours away from Detroit. 
And the thing about us going to St. Catharines, because this was the thing about LJ back in college, it was about a girl. Oh man. It was always so he he was like seeing this girl who ran track and they had met at a track meet. She was like very adorable. And she lived in St. Catharines, which is next to Niagara Falls. And so he had said that he wanted to visit her, but he was also from the Bahamas. So he only had his like papers. <laughs> and so we end up going to St. Catharines. Wild shit ensued. We got to see Niagara Falls, which is great. <laughs> and did, did you go on the boat? No, come on, I'm black. So Yo. That is my biggest regret in life that I went on that stupid boat, man. Yeah, I'm not about to get splashed. Like, it was peer pressure, man. Peer pressure yeah. will get you on that stupid boat, man. That's no, scary as hell, man. Anyway, I'm go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Cool for that. <laughs> <laughs> but on the day, so the day that we were coming back to from St. Catharines was the day before my tryout. And we're coming back, let's say around like three, four. We get to border control. And so, like, going into Canada is always easy because Canadian border, like, they're they're strict, but they're, like, understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're not assholes. American border people are straight assholes. <laughs> like, I, the border police in the United States are just dicks. And so they see us, and there was this one particular guy. He saw us, like, he looked at mine. I'm, you know, I'm a, a citizen. And then he looked at Jay's, and he was like, you know, where you have your papers, blah, blah, Like, Jay's like, everything is there. He just makes this whole big thing. And then he makes us sit and wait. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go through all of this, blah, blah, wait. Bro, we're waiting, let's say, two, three, four hours. We're just like, yo, like, what's going on? And he was like, I'll let you know when it's done. We sat in this border control office from the time that we arrived till 1 a.m. until he changed shifts. And when the next guy came and he said, what can I help you with? And we're like, oh, he told us to wait. He said there was a problem. And the guy looked at the computer, looked at us. He said, oh, there's no problem. You can go. Wow. <laughs> and at 1 a.m. At 1 fucking a.m. And so I didn't get home like 2. And my training was at 9. Oh, man. So I wake up. I'm exhausted. And I go to this practice because it was a two a day. I go, the first, the morning one just was terrible. Like I was just off my game. I was just tired. They, But they're just like, all right, well, come back in the afternoon if you're, you know, if you could do it, that's fine. And so I come back in the afternoon. Now I'm rested because all I did was sleep, right? <laughs> I'm rested. It took like 10 minutes before the coach told me to go sign, like fill out the papers and go get my uniform. It's because, and I remember exactly what play did it because I got the ball. And there was like one of your best defenders. I remember his name was like Mike Chindusi. I I like embarrassed him so badly. <laughs> like I was just like, you know, I'm like I'm a dribbler, right? Like the one thing that I could do, I could, I could do a bunch of shit. But the thing that <laughs> talk your like, shit, bro. Yeah, like the thing that, thing that hurt joy. Like if you've ever seen me play or if you play with me, you could talk to like, you could talk to like even Tosin or like you could talk to Aaron West. But, like, you would talk to, like, all the people I played with in college and, like, my actual, like, professional friends. I can dribble. out Like, it will be four defenders, and I will find a way out. And so Mike gets on me, and I'm just like, oh, I'm about to eat this man a lot. <laughs> Bro, I skinned him so bad. And the coach just comes over to me. He's like, yo, yeah, go, go fill out the papers. <laughs> 
was like, see, I'm well rested. Just a whole, it's a big difference. That's how I ended up playing soccer at University of Detroit. How many years of eligibility did you have left? Oh, I tore my fucking cartilage like the first year. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I tore my cartilage the first year. But then I ended up like taking some time off before I ended up going to playing in Turkey. But I had to get surgery and then I was just recovered for a bit. And then I ended up playing in Turkey. So you said earlier that you were doing engineering. So yes. I'll, I'll assume oh, I, I wanted to ask this first. Where do you fall in the sibling order for your family? Are you the eldest? No, no, I'm second oldest. My okay. mother is like a year and a half. Okay. So they put you on doctor, lawyer, engineer program. I I, yeah, I think I feel like all my siblings are like that. Like my older brother did like architecture and planning. Mm. I did engineering. My sister did neuroscience. The other sister did, she's in tech. She did something in tech. The other brother is a chemist. The last one, I forgot what he did, but he also, like, he wants to get into creative stuff. I'm about to buy him, like, a $2,000 camera because he's miserable at his job, and he wants to start, like, he, he was always wanted to be a photographer or just, like, mm. a designer. So I'm going to try to help him out on that. But, yeah, it's, like, five out of, five out of, like, six did very tech, <laughs> tech stuff. Yeah, like, my, my, my younger brother is an engineer. Yeah. And <laughs> I think my parents just knew for me, and I was telling Tosa this last week, just bro, just like make as long as he goes to college and gets a degree, that's fine. It can be anything, but just go go to college and get your degree. My brother was the one who received all the pressure to be something in that way. So um, I find that interesting, especially with immigrant households, as you say, like there's always a risk when you move and you want the best for your kids and all that. But, you know, for me, it was just like, bro, just do something. So I did English love to do english like i'm a writer now <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll get there so how is the process between deciding i want to pursue being a professional and i have this engineering background should i do something a little bit more stable well i did engineering for like a year i was uh i worked at trw the automotive company i quit engineering because i was driving to work one day and i think it was again it was like seven o'clock in the morning and it, it, it actually did snow. It was like one of those like snowy mornings. And I had texted my little brother. Yeah, I know, texting and driving. Don't do it. But <laughs> I texted my little brother. I was like, I think I might have just spit my car out of, uh, out of control and hit a snowbank. <laughs> and he's like, don't be selfish. Wait till I get in the car so we both don't have to go. <laughs> and so I ended up actually spinning my car, like getting into a full accident. Cause it was a fake, like it was such a fake accident of me hit my car in a snowbank and then texting my boss that I couldn't make it to work. <laughs> and then I went back home <laughs> and then I just didn't go the next day. <laughs> and I didn't go the next day. And then I was like, yeah. And my dad was like, you're not going back, are you? I was like, yeah, I'm not. And so then uh, I think I was just training and just like, uh, there's this private facility in Detroit where uh, a lot of us used to train. And we also used to hold this like January thing where we would invite all of our like professional friends and then just play, like we'll have like these two a days for like three weeks. You know, like Kelly, that's how Kellen Acosta and I became friends is that he was always one of the, it was like him, Jordan Allen, like a bunch of other people. And they would just, we would all just be in Detroit, like training two a days for like, you know, when it's like winter break and there's nobody's doing anything. And so yeah. that's where like they would be going to camps and shit. But yeah, so I would just be, I was just training. And then one of my coaches, uh, one of my former coaches, 
brought up this, uh, you know, when they always have these, like, the European scouts will come over and do all these, like, invitation-only tournaments. And so he had, like, signed me up for one of those. And he's like, yeah, they're looking to take players. I think you'll be really good for it. And it was in Chicago. And it was, like, in this, like, little private uh, indoor stuff at Chicago. And so I went. It was like a three-day thing. I did good. Of course, I was I was just cruising because the first day, you know, the first time you're playing, you're always like kind of gauging how good everybody is. But my thing is like I'm showing up hungover or tired anyway. And so like the first two days, I'm just cruising because I was like, this is very light. And then the last day was for everybody who got invited to the end. And the night before I had food poisoning, I just spent <laughs> all night throwing up. It was yeah. horrible. I didn't sleep at all. I showed up and the coaches are like, are you all right? I was like, yeah, it's just, you know, I slept badly. <laughs> and then, but I ended up doing really, really well and then got offered that chance to go play in like for, in Turkey for a little bit. But yeah, I quit engineering just because I was driving one day and I was like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I like fake crashed my car. Yes. So how, how long did you play in Turkey? Just for that season because then they had a military coup. It's just like one thing after another. Okay. Very I, I, was, so, uh, I was next to the Mediterranean in Italia. So I was at the resort right on the Mediterranean. And that's where they had me. And it was just like, you would wake up for breakfast and there's just like a, you know, a whole like resort of shit that you could just eat. And you would come down for lunch. And then there's the stuff and then you'll get massages and then you go to training. It was, it was like, it was nice. I would, uh, I remember one of the coaches had messaged me one time because he saw me walking by the water late at night. And he's like, you are the only player that we have that is reading Peruvian literature at like nine o'clock by the water. <laughs> and I was like, look, I like it. This shit is great. <laughs> but yeah, when they had a little military coup or attempted military coup, we just had a conversation. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back for a little bit. But then I got offered like a full-time writing job as soon as I came back. And I was like, yeah. What year was that? I think that was 2016. 2016, okay. Yeah. What level of Turkish football? Was it Super League or the League was, Under? Or... It was second division. Second division, okay. Yeah. Interesting. But, but since you brought it up, I was going to ask, how did you stumble onto sports writing? Oh, uh, so the thing about sports writing is like I've always – like I didn't even oh, – this is such a long thing because I didn't even start reading or writing for a long time. Like I'm not one of those nerds who grew up like, oh, I, I want to be a writer and build my whole life around that. Like I played sports. I was just always cool. I have friends. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> – <laughs> I wasn't – like I wasn't a dork. I'm sorry. But so the reason that I started reading was because – like, I, you know, there's always stories that I liked in high school, right? Like, in our English classes, I always really did really good in our English classes and in our house. So in our house, when we have the house that we have now, one of the rooms was always reserved as a library, and it still kind of is, where it was six of us, but my parents would always, like, you guys could group up because one of these houses, has, one of these rooms has to be a library. And my parents were teachers. So we always just had books around, like, and you could just sit in the library and, like, be on the computer or just read something. And so I would always read, like, little things like that. But I was never just, like, a big reader. That was my older brother. He would just, like, go through entire books in a day. And, but, like, for English class, I always did well. Like, English was always my strongest uh, subject going in school. And then 
I think it was like senior or like junior year in high school. Or it's probably senior year because I was I was just getting I was always in trouble. I think people meet me now and they just see me as like this calm, like smart individual. But like back when I was young, I was just like a very aggressive young man. Even though I like stayed by myself, I just had like such a short temper and I just did not want to be fucked with. So one of my teachers, like our test preparation teacher, saw me one day because I was looking at the bookshelf that he had and he had all these like, you know, like the classic Greek myth books. And all these other like ancient old books, right? Like metamorphoses or just like like philosophy books, all of these things. And I would just flip through it before a class because he would sometimes get late. And he saw it. He said, hey, if you, you know, instead of just like, you know, when school's over, just hanging outside or blah, blah, blah. Or like whenever you feel like it, you could just come in here and like take one of those books and read, even if you're in trouble in like another class. Like a lot of my teachers or a couple of my teachers actually did stuff like that. My art teacher was the same way. She was like, look, whenever you don't want to be in another class, you can just always come here. And sometimes I'll just get bored with another class or I'll get in trouble in another class. And instead of being suspended, they would just send me to my, one of my teachers, like the art teacher, like the test preparation teacher. And I'll sit there and read, which is like I used to draw more than I write. Before writing, I was like an artist. And so I would always be in the art class or like that. Uh, other class reading and then that's when I actually started reading like you know for fun and as far as just writing uh, I don't know I was like I read through college of course like my philosophy teacher also used to like let me sit in the library in like the philosophy building and he was just like he's like any book that you see in here you can have because you really seem to like these books but I always used to keep up with like the old soccer blogs, you know, like when the blog era in the internet age was like really big, it was like the classical, like ball don't lie. But then there was also like offsides, unprofessional file, like run of play, like all these other things. I would just always keep up with them. And I think people like uh, James Tyler, who now works at uh, ESPN and like Brian Phillips, who used to work for, who used to write for Run of Play, or like Andrew Thomas had like Twisted Blood. Like these are all friends that I made from those times. Cause I would just like read their stuff and comment. And I was like one of the people who like, and you still see it now on my Twitter. Like if I read something, I would like comment on the thing that I read. Cause like, I really engage with the stuff that I read. And I'm usually like interested in like the ideas. So mm -hmm. I would just comment and then they would respond and we would just like have these back and forths. But I was on Twitter, I think while I was actually in Turkey, like one of the editors from SB Nation had uh, DM'd me and asked me to write because he was like, you're very funny, you're very smart, and you know a lot about the game. Would you like to write for us? And I think I told him no like twice because I was like, first of all, no, I'm not a nerd. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, like I'm more of a fiction writer than I am a sports writer. Mm. eventually he like wore me down and he's like you could take all the stuff that you write when it comes to fiction all your ideas all your like imagination and just use it around sports because you already have so much knowledge and you can see the game in an interesting way he's like you just need to like learn a different way how to convey information rather than writing entire stories it's like writing for other people to like you know keep along with you and so that's how I ended up, that's how I started. And I wrote for SB Nation. I wrote for like uh, Eurosport, Vice, a bunch of publications. I wrote for every, like at Fox Sports, a bunch of I, shit. Yeah, that's the, like, I feel like, like Carl started doing the podcast in 
December 2016, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And like he would always shout out, yo, check out Zeets on Twitter, check out Zeets on Twitter. I was like, who is Zeets? Oh, so then <laughs> so I had to go check you out. And one of the first things I read that I can remember was the piece where you went to Nigeria about mm-hmm. uh, something about your godson. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. And like yeah, just yeah. and just like people like you made it out and got to do what he wanted to do, but then gave it up because you wanted to feel more free. Yeah, and they're like, bro, like, why would you do that? Like, I, I'm dying to get out of here in order to do that. Yeah, that's the first piece I remember. I need to go back and read it. I'll link it, but it was really good. Yeah, I was like, was yo, good. Carl, you were right, bro. This Zeke guy, man, he's good. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like that that essay also shows people how, like, the way that I just changed my life whenever I want, <laughs> which yeah. is, I'm a professional soccer player, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm done with this. Let's try something else. <laughs> so how how has working in football or, or being a writer of, of football and just thinking about it in that way changed your perception of it or has it? Well, I think you just notice different stories. Well, like my thing is always like, there's only a couple of stories that people ever tell with sports, right? Like it's always the same storylines, always the same narratives, the characters just change. And I think if anything, it annoys me so much because you, you know, you have like the expertise was like cast of writers who are just like either they're getting inside information and they're just you know doing stuff like breaking news or breaking whatever or they're just people who have like this like sort of expert analysis which is basically just not to be mean to them but like a lot of it is just like also fantasy sports right because it's talking about like uh this like uh, different changes of formation or like players that could come in and like make a difference, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Which is like, no, none of us have control over shit that these teams do or like the players (laughs) that they recruit, but we like to make ourselves feel like very smart and important by, you know, having these arguments and like having these long things. Like if I wrote a whole thing about like, this is why Arsenal fell because they're playing this formation instead of who, like, who does that affect? (laughs) <laughs> like it's just for me to like write do like this intellectual exercise which is fine but so I think when I was writing I just never had a drive to be an expert right because I don't think you see that from my Twitter feed either like mm-hmm. I just I've just never had the drive to be like I wear a tie and I tell you what's wrong with Arsenal or I'll tell you what like what Manchester <laughs> City needs to do to win the title that's not me so all my writing source of re- sort of reflects the things that I find interesting in the game, like whether it's about like the nutmeg thing, right? Whether it's about just I'm about to do a portrait or profile on like Alano because I'm just thinking about Alano randomly or I'm about to write about, you know, racism in sports or I'm writing about like sexism in sports or I'm writing about like bigotry or I'm just writing about like any one of those bigger important things. And these are just like things that have always been important to me, things as far as aesthetics and sports and like things about like sort of the art of football that I really, really love. So I think like writing about it just let me exercise so many things that I always thought about the sport, right? Like there's not, you can name on like one hand how many people still write about like the art and aesthetics of watching football which is such a wild thing because it's one of the most aesthetically pleasing games. And there's so much like incredible shit that happens on a game to game basis. Mm-hmm. But how many people are just going to look at like a Tiago pass and write like a whole 900 word thing about that? 
I was always like, look, if you're hiring me because you want like an important voice, I could give you that because I'm like morally inclined and I can talk about like those smart things, whatever. But I also want to talk about the aesthetics, like the feel, the wonder of things where like so much of my writing is just about like very specific moments or very specific things or just like the this isn't really important in the grand scheme, but I think it's a worthwhile thing like appreciate. I, I, I wrote for Bleacher Report for four years, I think, mm-hmm. from 2014 through 2017. And like the editors, they'll give you like this list of basically things you got to write. <laughs> and some of the stuff is just like, predict the 11 for this. Yeah, or, it's, it's, or, like, it's just like, bro, like I, I want to write about, like like for me, my, my joy was in interrogating social things or political things through the lens of football. So mm-hmm. if something racist, racist or racial happens or sexist happens, let's use football as a vehicle to maybe not be overly didactic, but let's just let's have a comment on it. And that was my happy place. And and luckily I was given some leeway there to 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 write some stuff. But when you said like it's fantasy sports, I remember <laughs> like I think DraftKings or somebody they like I don't know they had a deal with Bleacher Report and they reached out and they like they picked me. So it was like, yo, you want to do this? I was like, for eight hundred dollars, yeah, I'll write it. But I, was I happy? Not really. <laughs> so. no, I think most most like football writers or sports writers in general would really love to like be back in the blog era where you could just write about the things that are very important to you. Yes, but like that's just not the stuff that makes money in like exactly. the blog era. And most of the stuff that makes money is just like hitting SEO targets, right? Like, exactly. Like right. trans- transfers. I, I asked my editor one time, how come I have to write about transfers, bro? Like, Cristiano's not leaving Madrid to go to XYZ club. Why do I have to? <laughs> what happens if? But is he's like, bro, like, this is how we make money. Yeah, that's how you make money. It's like working in the creative industry, where it's like, uh, sometimes I'll be doing projects and like my old bosses will be like, look, this is client work. This is how we make money. But we have our passion projects on the side. I slideshows. Did they ever make you write slideshows? Oh dear God, no! Like I was, so, I was so protected at, at like at uh, SB Nation because they're just like, they're just like he does not write any of that. Cool. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like I'm, I'm envious <laughs> on one hand, but I'm like good for you on the other. No, no. Like, but I think people don't understand until they meet me in real life. Like when I say the shit that online that makes it sound like I'm such a princess and people take care of me, it is such a true thing. I had a friend over here the other day and she was like, how do people, how do you get people to deal with you like this? And I was like, this is the contract they sign when they meet me. I'm sorry. Let's, let's just get into to just writing itself. So, and, or, or maybe more consumption on this one. So like, how do you decide what to consume? You say that your parents had this big library. I'll, I'll assume you've kind of kept that tradition and you keep a lot of books. I see on your timeline, you're always posting different things. How, how do you decide what to consume? Is, is anything good enough and you kind of chew the meat, spit out the bones? Or how does that process work? I have incredible taste. but taste is just something you develop over like years of just like reading or just as far as like media entirely, just like being not just critical, but like generally being critical, having a critical lens, having a critical sense. And so I 
I think I have like very specific meat taste, but it's very good. And I have like sort of a, a humble brag that I've not read a bad book yet. And I was very close recently, but one of my friends like stopped me before I ended up reading a book that I would have hated. But yeah, I think I generally, like I have a, I can go to my like bookshelves and pick a random book and I know I'm going to enjoy it because what, what tends to happen is like, you know, reading is sort of like an adventure in that you find the sort of things that you like and you find like the few authors that do the things that you like and you kind of like follow their lineage mm. a little bit and then eventually that just spans out forever. But also like I like I like challenging myself with certain things. There was a, not even that this is a challenge, but there was like one year, I think it was like 2015 actually, where one of my friends who was like a big author and like very incredible well-read person he was like hey why don't we just read nothing but like women authors this year and so like i read you know women american female authors i read like all like european ones i read like south american ones i read like you know haitian islanders i read like you know african mm -hmm. ones it, and it was just like very very incredible writers but it's also just about being having like the sense of exploration I have a bunch of obscure books as well. And I think this might be the underlining theme is that like, I like books that try, like that are very ambitious, not just in like plot, but like trying to do something different. It, it, you're going to be hard pressed to find me reading a lot of like strong MFA books because, the, and this is probably like a very standard opinion, but a lot of them are like technically well done, but they're boring. So I like books that are challenging, right? I think one of the books that I had, I'm always talking about, is about this uh, this author that I follow. And it's called, it's called The Revolutionaries Try Again. And the book mm -hmm. is incredible. And you, you find out how incredible it is because like, you start reading it and it's so dense. But also you realize that like some, in like sometimes it goes like entire 20 pages and it's just one sentence, but it switches voices and it switches like, uh, t like time, like present tense or whatever. And, but like, it is so like, you're not going to get lost in it because it's so well done. And I remember reading like an excerpt of it and I was like, this book is incredible. And I bought the book the next day and I read it and I was like, I love this book. And I bought his, like his other books after that. Like I've I've had books where it's like translate a book that there's only one copy of it left, and it was trans it was like a book that was uh, written in like 1920 by like a Russian author, but it's just it's stuff like that where I'm just like, but it, they're just interesting. It's not even how yeah. rare they are. It's like no, these books are very interesting. Like they're very like I read poetry a lot, and I think mm. most people see that because I think poetry is like challenging in a way that it challenges language and it challenges. It is really, really good to understand how to write very, very strongly about one thing, mm -hmm. right? Like, I think the thing with prose is that it allows you a lot of space to, like, sort of take sentences off where poetry doesn't really allow that. Like, every, the way that me, me and my editor used to talk about it, he was like, you know, poetry is like building a house brick by brick where, you know, you can't just have spaces that are just nothing there. And so you, like, I, I really, really like poetry as like a way to understand language, as a way to understand what you could do with language. Mm -hmm. And I like prose, of course, like I read novels all the time. I read like philosophy books, I read all that shit, so. Do you enjoy reading or writing more? Where do you find a more happy place? 
Well, I think it's not even just reading. I like just doing stuff. And I also like learning and like consuming things that I feel like consuming makes it sound so like passive, but I like engaging with things that are very creative and very challenging and very imaginative, right? So even if you like look at my timeline, it's never just books, right? Like I'll I'll post the movies that I'm watching and they're just like the same type of movies that you would expect for someone who reads the type the type of books that I read. Yeah. And so it's like stuff like that. But I'm also like a very playful person. Like I still play football, even though I'm injured right now. Uh, like I run hills. Like I used to run hills every morning. Oh, Jerry yeah. Rice type running yeah. hills or? I, like I'm an athlete and I'm still an athlete at heart. Right. So yeah. like the entire idea of like not using my body is just not a thing for me. And so I like playing. It was like, I did a writer's retreat last year where I gave a talk on like the future of writing, but afterwards where everybody is like, you know, all the adults were drinking wine and having these high lofty conversations. If you like pan to the left, it was me and like 12 kids playing football for like two hours straight in the dark. And everybody's like, where's Zito? And it's like, yeah, he's out there with the kids. You can hear them all giggling. As far as like writing or reading, I think it's just a little bit of both. Like I like writing. I'm not one of those people who like wants to be you know, fake the identity of a writer, those, you know, like the <laughs> writers who are just like, oh, this is such a huge burden. No one understands how tough it is to be a writer. And I was like, oh, stop being dweebs. Like my, my whole thing is like, you can understand who found their identity through a thin by how much they believe in the myths and the romantic ideas of the thin. So you get that with the writers who like from two years old or like three, they wanted to be writers. And they've like dedicated their whole life to being writers. And so they perform the idea of the writer. They have to like always talk about M dashes, about how hard it is. <laughs> and I'm just like, writing is fun. Like that's the, this is the essential problem, right? Like they don't want to admit that it's fun because people think fun things are frivolous. The idea that writing is imaginative and fun because what you're doing is you're you're in the act of creation, right? It's like painting, or it's like making art, it's like playing sports. You're yeah. in the act of creation. I get this, I get a similar thrill from like writing something as I do when I used to dribble people, which is like I'm about to solve a problem and I'm about to have fun doing it. And so <laughs> it's just it's just like very exhilarating for me. But also reading and like engaging with stuff is also like you're expect like I feel either it's challenging or it's like expanding. And sometimes it's just like very entertaining, right? Sometimes it's thrilling. Like I read one of my favorite books of all time, not even of all time. One of my favorite books is this uh, book by Fred Saberhagen. I think it's called Blood Tide. And it's like the sci-fi book that nobody probably knows about, but it is such an entertaining and like wild book to me, especially when I read it when I was young. And it's so violent and aggressive. And if you ask, <laughs> Like, what's challenging about this? I was like, it's just wild as shit. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like choosing the right things to feed yourself with. But I'm also just not the type of person who's just going to tell you like, oh, my God, you need to feed yourself with all the right things, blah, blah, blah. But if you ask me if like the shit that you're reading or like watching, if I like it or not, I'm going to be very like, nah, the shit sucks. But it doesn't always <laughs> Yeah, my thing is like it doesn't always have to be like high brow or like whatever yeah. for you to enjoy. Like my whole family spent entire years watching wrestling together. Like wrestling is the most low brow shit, and I hate when people are just like, actually, it's performance art and blah blah blah. It's theater. I'm like, no, like the wrestling is a bunch of oily 
dudes doing homoerotic shit. Ninety-nine <laughs> like percent of the time, borderline offensive shit. But it's also entertaining and it's fine. Like it doesn't have to be morally good all the well, time. Well, see, well, see, that's where I draw the dweeb line. Like I wasn't, I was never with the wrestling. I was like, you guys are lame for watching that. You miss so much. You like <laughs> you understand how much cool shit that you miss because the thing about it, right? Like no, no I, but did, 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 it's so famous that I didn't miss. Do you smell a little with the rockets cooking? I'm just, I'm not watching it. You guys brought it to school. And I could not avoid it. You, you missed you missed out because it's like wrestling was one of those things when at that age, right? Like I think we're almost the same age in yeah. that like it was the phenomenon when we were growing up. Ugh. Like it engulfed everything. It's just one of those things of like you know when you're not participating in it, you don't really understand the appeal of it. But it is also just it's like a formative thing to share with a lot of people. Like I could go right now. To like random people who are our age in the United States and just talk about like WCW or like NWO and they would know exactly what I'm talking about. But I have no idea. Yeah, you would have no idea. I no, I, I, I only get like the highlights. What was it? Gold Goldberg was that his name? Goldberg. You, yes, it's Goldberg. And Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Stone Cold Stone. Like I have like the bare minimum, like Jeopardy knowledge probably. Yeah, I had, a, I had a classmate who was stunner people in the hallway in high school. <laughs> it was brutal as fuck because those high school like floors were so hard. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What made you choose to support Arsenal? Uh, well, so I support like three teams, right? In three different countries, which is Arsenal, AC Milan, and OM in France. And and I think the through line in these is like all of them are frustrating as shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, but but well, not, at one point, not really. At one point. That's the trick. That's the fucking they, they, like, 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 like between 2000 and 2008, all of those teams were pretty good. You, you see, exactly my formative years, right? Uh-huh. It's, it's okay. so interesting. It's falling and, together. But like, look at all the cool players that they have, right? Like, you're talking about AC Milan early 2000s. Like, that is a juggernaut team full of like the like the most classic players, right? And you talk about Arsenal early 2000s. That like Thierry Henry was a drug made specifically to lead young black men astray. Bro, it's it's Henri Kanu, especially for Nigerians. It's, it's, and, and 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 then and then before them, for like our our, our our London brothers, Ian Wright. 
Yes, those they, those three led generations of black men astray. They and then and and and, and, and for and for, for, for our white brothers, Dennis Burkab, yes, Perez, they should be fucking fined <laughs> at the ICC for their crimes against humanity because there are a lot of Arsenal fans now who can't get out the game who were brought in because these assholes decided to be cool as shit when we were young. And now look at us having a deal with Arteta. <laughs> you know, I've called him a Spanish dictator so many times. And a couple of my friends are just like, are you going to apologize? And I was like, I'm not out of refuse to negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> I don't care if fucking Franco has made the as, as you know has increased the education in the country. I'm still against his rule, and so yes, me and Mikhail are at loggerheads. One could say, but yes, it's it's incredible that like I think if you trace how young I was then and like stuff that I like, the type of football that I like, those three teams. I think I think of OM as like the home for misfit kids, where. <laughs> They always take in the troublesome characters, right? Like Dimitri Payat played there, Mario Balotelli, Balotelli yeah, Antonio played there. Like that was the Don's favorite team. Like if you're hot headed, but you're very talented, OM is the home for you. <laughs> and AC Milan is just like the love of my life, and like I've always been like I've always adored that team. Like Maldini was like a god to me, and you know, like Kaká is like. He's damn near an angel. I would not hear a bad word from that man about oh, that. Oh man, you haven't listened to our podcast. Somebody <laughs> 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 disrespected him. I would literally dox them, get their address, and go beat them up myself in front of your family and friends. You see, on, on our podcast, Half Hope. I don't know if you've ever listened to Half Hope, but Half Hope, he and my my theory is he has a, a something against pretty boy footballers. So Kaka and Beckham. Yeah, that, like, that's just hater shit. <laughs> Kaka and Beckham get hate, but I'm like, bro, like they were nice that's though. Like, like it's, it's especially Kaka, like Beckham. Be- Beckham, I kind of understand. No, Beckham it, was amazing. Bro, you know, like, the thing with Beckham, right, is that he became so popular for being hot that people forgot that he was also like an excellent, excellent player. Beckham was like Beckham was one of the main reasons that they the United won the treble. Now, you see, this is the problem with the young kids. Just because this man was like stun, stunningly handsome and had a motorcycle and married. I'm just, a- it, it just feels like propaganda in a way. Like I know he was nice. I I remember watching it to an extent. Like right? used to rule the Pepsi commercials. Okay, <laughs> him and just saying, he, he was just too pot like braids and like it's just. Ah. He was the only. He's the only white man who can wear braids, and I would not say a word about culture appropriation. <laughs> um. So on, on on the episode that we had before, we were talking about going on loan. So there's there's this phenomenon on football Twitter of particular fans who've decided like they're gonna go quote on loan. Has that ever been tempting? I know you 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 have loyalty to three teams, so maybe not as much. But going through the struggles that you've been going through the past 10 years, let's say, have you ever been tempted to just drop all three? No, because I think I watched such a grand, you know, especially when I was younger, I used to watch such a grand number of games. And, like, I just appreciate different things a lot of times, right? Like, I could watch whatever game. Like, it's nice when my teams do well. 
but also mm-hmm. that's not like the end all be all for what my enjoyment of football is. Yeah. And so like I if you ask me about like Palermo mid 2000s, I could give you, you know, like Palermo just for example, has such a wide array of like incredible footballers that I always like had in my heart. They had Cavani, they had uh, Pastore, who was like a lovely, beautiful man. And I, I used to think Abel Hernandez is going to be the greatest striker of all time. But <laughs> so it's things like that where I, I can just watch any team and like, appreciate different stuff from like different players and different tactics mm-hmm. or whatever. So I never had like, you know, plus I'm not a masochist. Like if my teams aren't, if I, if I get to the stage where it's just miserable for me to watch a team over and over and over, I'll just take a break for a little bit. Going on loan does seem consistent with your personality. Like if you're not feeling it, I'll just do something else up until the time where it's time to get back on. Yeah. Like, plus I have such a, not distance, but like, a healthy relationship to football in the sense of like, like what I was saying, like I'm not playing fantasy football. Like these are athletes that, and like a team that my input and my anger does nothing. If I go to a game and I'm booing, what does that do? I'm just like, what, like me losing my entire week because I'm frustrated because this team did bad. <laughs> Literally, it's just like maladaptive, right? Yes. Yes. Like I can understand that they did that, and I would want them to do better. But me going around just being like moody as shit is just like yeah. when you're young. I didn't know anything about West London when I picked my football team. So whenever people I talk to people from England, black people especially, and they're like, "You support Chelsea? Like, don't you know?" I was like, "No, nah, I didn't know. I just they were the best team on FIFA yeah, that, that 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 wore blue, and blue was my color. Like, I'm not gonna support Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United. They wear red. I, I don't do that." Fair share of like great African players. They had Jogba and like well, Jogba, you know. Yeah, well, see, like Jogba's his own gateway in that sense. But yeah, this is, this is, this is like you see, like my gateway might have been Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank, and okay, and, and Baba Yaro and those guys. Three so. names, you you are wayward. <laughs> Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank. I don't care how great of a player you are, bro. Just choose another gateway. <laughs> Ba- Baba Yaro was on those teams, and then we had you know Zola, Poyet. Um, yeah, I think Zola was there for a lot of like Chelsea. Yes, 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 yes. Di Matteo yeah. as well. So I, I didn't know that the, the that Chelsea had like this racist connotation. I said connotation is such a nice way to put what Chelsea's problem. Let, let, let me let me you know I'm just let let it be easy you know. <laughs> So so once once the Paris train incident happened, right? Mm-hmm. I've found myself gradually falling less in love with, with, with Chelsea Football Club. But the thing is, I think I enjoy football now more than ever. It's just I don't love my club as much. Do you have that? You love your club less, but you enjoy football more? Well, the thing that I think kind of made me lose a lot of mystique for football in general and like the clubs especially, mm-hmm. is like this past, the, you know, during the pandemic, like a, a couple of things had happened that like really hurt, like hurt me on like a very, very like moral level. They sat gunnosaurs? Yes, besides <laughs> that. It's like when the communities around the world, and this is like supposedly the world's game, when all their communities were in trouble, a lot of the football clubs got greedy as shit. And they looked out only for themselves, right? Like the Super League was the, like the big clubs looking out for themselves and trying to like rip apart the whole fabric 
of European football just to feed, keep feeding the beast. You remember, like they they furloughed and sacked a lot of workers rather than just taking, you know, rather than just like giving up a couple of millions to like help people out in desperate need. They basically closed up shop and like sacked a bunch of people and just like literally did not look out for anybody. And, you know, like the the tenets that the game is always sold on is about like community It's the beautiful game. It brings us all closer, blah, blah, blah. Right. My thing was always like you sell these ideals all the time. But here's a situation like a global crisis that requires you to take care of people rather than people just giving you money all the time. And you didn't do shit about it. Like you actually did the worst thing, which is that you abandoned everyone. As soon as it was easy enough, they started spending like tens of millions on like transfers again. The same clubs that were telling you that they were they were broke. <laughs> and so I remember because I had wrote an essay right before I left SB Nation and I said sports needs to take pole position in leading this recovery effort in the sense that like everything that sports has always said that it means, everything all these sports teams have always saying in a way to connect to fans, in a way to keep fans buying their shit about connectivity, about like community, about care, about like all these things. This is a chance for them to make a few sacrifices to make sure that like the people in their communities don't suffer, like don't suffer greatly. And they did the complete opposite. And I said, I can watch these games and I can enjoy watching my teams play, but I can never look at the sport and the teams in the same way that I did before. If you have 60 million for Pepe, then you have enough to keep on like everybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, like, you know, sports is just dirty. Football is dirtier than most, right? Like a couple of the fucking Premier League teams are state-owned team. Like Saudi team owns Newcastle United. So we've always known that it was dirty. Like there's a sanction and Chelsea has to sell their club because their fucking owner is one of Putin's best friends. And so there's all these things, but also I just thought as dirty as this is, this is your chance to do something that's an easy win for you socially. It was only those very, very small teams, like, you know, like the non-league teams, like the very small lower league teams that looked out for the community. And I was like, yeah, this is just like, I can't just sit there buying into this nonsense when like, it's clearly such like a lie. Yeah. When was your first World Cup? Like, 94, I experienced at home in a ah. sense that it was like a, a staticky TV <laughs> that, like, you could barely hear. But 98 is probably the one that I, like, have a real memory of. Most of the things that I remember about the World Cups is just, like, you know, being in the village is just, like, because 98 is the year that we left the village. So we left right after the World Cup because we got to the United States in uh, September. And like everything I always remember about those early World Cups or early tournaments is just being around a bunch of like family members, like seeing my dad and my uncle and like my cousins just like yelling about shit and arguing about shit and hearing like basically mythical stories about Nigerian players. Like I, I used to grow, I grew up thinking like Kanu was like a walking god. <laughs> like you, you could not tell me that these weren't just like superheroes who were sent from Nigeria to like all these different countries <laughs> to conquer them only to find out that you know these niggas lie about their age <laughs> Wait, doesn't Kanu have like a hole in his heart or something uh, we all have holes in our heart but I think he does yeah like a mission. 
Yeah, so like I mean, he might he might be a superhero in yeah. a sense. Like he's beating death. At any point, have you considered yourself American enough to support the United States men's national team or women's team? Because I'll admit, I've never gotten to that point. Well, I don't. You know, I would never challenge my Americanness. They can always look at my like. <laughs> they can always look at my uh, citizenship. Yeah, but I think the reason that I don't support. The you know the 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 thing about international football right like it's like try as you may it's still about nationalism yes and it's so uncomfortable to support like an imperial power <laughs> <laughs> thank you bro like I'm sorry it's just like the stars and stripes seeing all these we believe that we can win chance seeing all these like, American outlaw fans as much as I like some of the players on it and I I have friends who like Kellen plays on the national team like. Mm-hmm. I like I like a couple of the players who play there. I'm just like, bro, like, let's stop the play acting. This is a this is like nationalism on like a sporting yeah. scale, which yeah. is fine, right? Like that's all it is. You don't the players aren't going out there representing their country just because they like to play against Kosovo, but <laughs> because it's like oh, you wow. have a national pride when you're you know when you're playing in those games, and it's not even that I, I root against the U.S. men. <laughs> It is that, like, I like when they do bad. <laughs> Especially, like, I like Mexico a lot as well. Because so many of my, like, there's so many uh, great players that I like from Mexico. Like, Carlos Vela is one of my favorite players. Hmm. And so I've always had more favorite Mexican players. And I think Mexico has, like, a rich uh, football culture, like, a history as well. You know, even with all their fuck-ups, even with all their, like, dirty bunny they're still like so much more enjoyable and their their players have character like how many american players are you gonna hear like carlos vela just say that they don't like football at all does nigeria have an inordinate amount of control over your emotions or or are you one of the more detached nigeria fans who gave up somewhere along the line and you don't let them affect your mood because it's just foolishness after foolishness well, it's just foolishness after foolishness. But, like, it's not that I don't let them control my mood. It's just that I'm just like, what can I do about this? Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like me getting mad about Nigerian politics. Like, wow, okay. twice, like, come on. <laughs> All I can do is get mad about it. Like, there's nothing that I can, like, sensibly do about people who choose idiocy over and over. And so... Yeah, it's like us missing out on the World Cup. And I'm just like, this is the stupidest shit ever because this is self-inflicted. Like, Nigeria is such a wealthy country as far as, like, talent and, like, resources. <laughs> just, like, in football and elsewhere. And so much of the problems are self-inflicted. And so at that stage, I'm just like, if we don't make it to the World Cup, even though we're the most talented African team, we're the most populous African country. That is such an embarrassment that I am not about to carry that embarrassment for <laughs> like to make bad decisions. Is is I, I think it was PLO Lumumba. I think he said like if Nigeria can ever sort themselves out, they'll be a force to be reckoned with. But like the if is so conditional in that sense. I think there you know there are certain times where we we've come close, right? Like, but then it's just always a power struggle, right? Like there's always a power struggle between like doing things and like bringing in the old veterans to run the show versus like doing the sensible things and like moving past that moving forward with the game like 
getting with the contemporary world and like getting with the future. But you know, it's it's just it's the same thing that happens in places like like in all the clubs, right? Like Manchester United is going through a situation like that, where it's like Jesus Christ, you spent so long just. <laughs> Living in the idea of being Manchester United that you never even built a foundation to be better from because you're always like chasing that old feeling over and over and over again. And it's like bro. there's a whole world outside of that. Bro, you guys brought on Igalo and Musa to save yourself against Ghana. They brought on Igalo and Musa. <laughs> I was at home. <laughs> Okay, um, it's uh, I just noticed the time, so I want to respect the clock. So, quick fire round. Are you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Your favorite skill move. My favorite skill move. Ooh, uh, I like the Iniesta, the Iniesta move. La croqueta. Yes. Because it's so simple, but it's the most it's the most effective move you will ever do. Last good documentary you watched. Last good documentary that I watched. Oh, I watched the Maradona one, but like that was good. Yeah, like the director follows me. Asaf, what's his name? Yeah, he's cool. He's cool. Okay, he, he's always mad about British politics. <laughs> Rightfully so. Uh, guilty pleasure musical act. Oh, I don't think I have a guilty pleasure musical act because I just I like if I like something I just like it, and okay. there's like I would just. There's no point in me feeling guilty about it. Okay. But like, uh, recently, I like listened to a Harry Styles song, and I liked it a lot. That reminds me of a question I was going to ask, and I forgot it. What because you said the name Harry. Mm-hmm. Did your parents let you read Harry Potter? My older brother was a huge Harry Potter fan, and he engulfed all the books. I thought Harry Potter was for dweebs, and I didn't read Harry Potter, not because... Just solely because I thought it was the nerdiest shit. The sort of thing is like I had read the books that I liked were sort of had more edge to them. And I'm not about to read about like some chosen kid who was in a, who got a letter to go to a special university <laughs> when in like Blood Tide, you're talking about like three twin brothers and they're getting eaten by a pig man. And oh, so I'm wow. just like, we live in different worlds here. <laughs> Well, see, I, I asked because I have a theory that Africans don't read Harry Potter or, or of my age aren't allowed to read Harry Potter because demons and witchcraft and ting. So, yeah, my, my parents were like, my parents were like teachers, but they were also just like very literary. Like, my mom yeah. and I could talk about Shakespeare forever, and like, my dad like knows Latin, he like. He he's like very well well educated. So I think that's the difference. Like we're we're villagers and like with all the village sensibilities and religious, you know, the the pagan religious uh aspect. <laughs> like, you know, we are still like villagers, right? Before yeah. we're Christian or Catholics. But yeah, my parents are also like very like literary. So cool. Back to quick fire. Mm-hmm. Strawberry jam or grape jam? I don't do any jam. I've ever owned like a uh, anything of jam? What would I use jam for? Peanut butter? You don't have peanut butter and jelly? Peanut butter? No, I'm not poor anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the second that's time I've had a conversation about peanut butter being a poor food. I will order Chick Fil A. <laughs> uh, a football kit you want but don't have? Oh, uh, well, I used to have it, but now I don't have it anymore. There was the Henri O2 jersey, the blue one. 
And I once got, when Arsenal came to the United States in 2013, I believe, in New York, I had been there and I was, uh, I actually was with this girl and we were at this bar, The Blind Pig. And there was this guy who had it on and he was so interested in the girl that I was with. And he was flirted with her while I was there and she was trying to brush him off. And I told her no to to keep talking to him, but to get him to give her the jersey. Oh, wow. Pimping. That's pimping. Look, which she ended up getting. But then, <laughs> but then I lost that jersey somewhere. Oh, and so man. I wish I could have it back for the stories and because I love that jersey. Time football made you most sad. Time football made me most Wow, this is, that could be any time. Uh, <laughs> I, I think 2005 when Liverpool came back 3-0 against AC Milan and it's just, it's it's like your best moment in their history, but you know, it's one of those things is like when you're the hero, someone else is the villain. Yeah. And so even though it's like their favorite moment, the Istanbul thing, and they always go back to it. It was like the worst fucking moment. Like even Perlo talks about it in his book of <laughs> when in 2007 didn't make 2005 feel any better <laughs> because it just felt so awful. Uh, I think that's probably it. Time football made you most happy. I think that's just generally most of the time when I'm watching stuff. Like I could watch like I used to be able to. Wa- I used to watch like third division <laughs> football and just get so excited. Me and my dad have the same problem of like it takes two minutes before I have a rooting interest and like a player to to like ride or die for. So I think football generally makes me happy. Otherwise, I wouldn't watch it. Time footballs made you the most angry. Probably over the last few years, and that was like. For the moral aspect of it. Maybe I should have worded those differently after I heard that you played. Because I would wonder, like, the time playing made you the most happy. Might oh, be a better... like, yeah, it was time playing. Like, Jesus. Like, as most sad playing. I would cry. Like, I haven't cried in such a long time. But I remember vividly crying all the time when I was a kid. We would lose one game. And I'm in the shower just like... You know, our, like we would be driving back and our coach would just not say anything to me because I'm just so emotional about it. Mm. I was so good <laughs> that it felt like a personal failure if we lost. <laughs> and my dad was so hard on me that like I knew he was disappointed. I was disappointed. So it's like a dual disappointment. Yeah. I would be in school just like frustrated. I didn't want to listen to any. Like, what the fuck am I doing here trying to do math questions when we, like, I could remember vividly the chance that I missed that could have won that game. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did personally so much. We're going to have to bring you back because I want to get into the mentality of a striker, but I don't think we have time. So, last thing, anything that we should know about? Do you have anything coming out? Is there just some fun fact? Tosin told me last week about some dude the greatest fashion athlete of all time. Just anything that that that's pressing on your mind, something fun that we might should know. The that movie, the Michelle Yeoh movie, the Everything Everywhere All at Once. Great movie, great film. Also, beyond that, I just want to also shout out. I don't know if most of your audience will know, but like Tony Long, I think he was in uh, Shang Shai and the Ten Rings. I mean, because I was watching Wong Kar Wai films uh, earlier today. And Tony Lung stars in a lot of stars in a lot of them. Very incredible actor. So much better than like 99% of American actors. The man is amazing. All right. And I think most more people should know that. But like the Michelle Yeoh movie is also incredible. More people should uh, 
watch films on Criterion Channel and movie and stop watching uh, Netflix nonsense because it's not good for your soul. <laughs> there you go. Um, where can people find you? Where can people find your work? All of that. Follow you on Twitter, etc. You know, the very secret thing about me is that people see my work all the time. They just don't know that I'm behind it and as far as like the creative world. And like, mm. you could go to a Nets game right now and I have worked on a lot of stuff that they do. And most people would not know this. But if you like my writing, <laughs> there's a probably just follow my Twitter underscore Zeets. I'm always posting stuff that I enjoy and like tweeting and like calling people ugly. So, <laughs> hey man, I appreciate it. You gave me more time than what I asked for. So, bro, I really just thanks a lot, man. Yeah. Um, this has been talking with shout out to the homie Zito. And yeah, we will see you guys next week with somebody. Peace, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.